Hello and welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Uh, my name is Hussein. I am still sick. I'm still, they, they're calling me Mr. Mr. Sniffles out here because uh, I have the sniffles. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, things are fine. My cough is sort of gone, so this show should be easier to understand. Um, but my back really hurts. So if you hear me like going like, oh, it's, it, it is not because I'm doing anything weird. It's because my back hurts because I'm over 30 now. Oh, oh dear. Um, my name is Phoebe. Um, as you might remember last week, I was talking about how I'm not sick and the sicker Hussein gets, the more powerful I get. Well, um, Lady Hubris has come has come knocking for me with with her lamp and now I'm sick. Yeah. Well, look, now I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting I'm getting better. So like that must mean that you must be getting like, yeah, yeah it, it is working. I think your theory is kind of broadly correct. Yeah. So, uh, but I am I am I am very sorry uh, that you are uh, you are you're you're having ailments uh, and I hope that you recover at a faster rate than I do. Um, I'm really worried that by joining this call, I've somehow uh, jumped into whatever psychic link you guys have going between you. And now I'm going to get sick somehow or I'm going to get not sick. I don't know. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it, it, it correlates with the amount of times you've been on the show. So you've been on, I think, twice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like in theory, the person who's probably more likely to get sick um, is either going to be like, I don't know, um, Alex Patak or, yeah, or, 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 like, or, or Jason. Yeah, or Devin or Jason. Uh, I'm Devon, the editor, and I'd just like it to be known that I'm not sick, and I won't ever get sick. I am built different, and hubris uh, is simply not a concept that I have to worry about, because I'm better than the gods. You know, I, I feel like, no, I feel like Devon can't get sick. I actually genuinely believe that Devon can't get sick. Um, well, so, citations needed, perhaps, but... I have decided, um, as part of my, as part of my, you know, new year, new me... Um, in this, the fourth year, 2023, um, I'm going to um, start, like, I'm going to add some new facets to my personality. And I'm wondering about trying to, uh, trying to kind of bring back, I guess, like humors or like miasma theory. <laughs> um, yeah. So maybe that's, so maybe that's a good, this is a good place to start my, 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 yeah, uh, my interest in that. Mm. tease it out well look we have like a few things to get through today uh not least uh before uh or some of us have to or all of us have to go get get back to work uh on on the day job grind um but no we're really excited to have james back on uh james is a senior reporter at the verge has done some very very cool stuff uh recently especially around ai writing and it's kind of situ like it's being situated in particular newsrooms we'll sort of like get into that and like the broader discussions around ai writing uh pretty soon uh but just before we uh entered like james how's it going how 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 are you uh how how are you feeling like generally before you get sick after doing the show <laughs> right now i feel good i mean i feel fine i feel i think as everyone does mid-january that the year hasn't really started 2023 doesn't begin until february yeah. therefore mm. everything i do right now is fake and not real mm. and only a joke <laughs> and if you take it seriously then actually you're the idiot mm -hmm. um, that's right correct so yeah uh i'm feeling i'm feeling quite good though i'm you know, I'm doing um, yoga with Adrienne every day. Great. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. I love her 30-day courses that she does at the beginning of each year, and I haven't yeah. missed a day yet. Uh, oh, congratulations. I did do last night's quite drunk because that was the only time I could find to do it. But that but added you did to it. the... Yeah, you did it. Made, it made the balance problems even trickier which was I feel enjoyable. like yeah i feel like a, like yoga of adrian is always one of those things where i'm kind of like i should really do this it'll be really good for me 
it'll be really good for my bad back or like my back which is aching yeah and like i so i i don't know i feel like you you know i, I might start it at some point i you mean know, I, I enjoyed like, it during honestly the lockdown. you should like i yeah. i do yoga every day and have done yeah. for a couple of years sort of yeah. sort of regardless of what's going on like through being sick through hangovers through um endo yeah, flare-ups yeah. etc and it like honestly it, it is good it's okay. not yeah. not yoga I feel like, not a scam okay. So one of the questions yeah. I have for you, not for this episode, because we do actually have some stuff to get through, <laughs> but at some point in the future, is to do with like how you kind of do yoga and mm-hmm. also look at a screen. I feel like actually that's genuinely oh, you quite don't. true. You don't. You don't. You, you, very you, to them. you have to listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have right. to take my glasses off because um, they are loose now and old and they slip off my face. So yeah. I just listen to it. And I think I've done, I've been doing it on and off for a couple of years now with yeah, Adrienne. Yeah. Mm. And you just, you you do get to know what she's going to do. And yeah, you can sort of predict where she's going with her flows often as well. Yeah. I see. Um, okay. Yeah, she's not. I, I, I did. I did a yoga class during the lockdown with like another. I can't remember who it was, but it was like uh, one of the like the local instructors who had sort of moved online. Um, and like what I found was that where I wasn't sort of looking at the screen, I was like sort of doing certain movements for like too long or too short a period of time. And like it just completely sort of and then there were just periods of time where I was like looking at the screen so much. And then my neck started hurting. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, mm, shouldn't really work like this, should it? But Okay, I will. I will take your advice for uh, for yoga. I will report back next week. Honestly, to, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that like I'm not sure that Adrian is ter- is particularly terrific for um for beginners. I think that um it probably makes more sense to try something which is actively targeted towards be- beginners because they're more likely to and they're more likely to help you out with stuff like alignment, which is like really which is like really important. Which Adrian doesn't do like she sort mm. of says you know um oh don't like she says stuff like don't don't get stressed that your shape doesn't look like my shape and it's like yeah but mm. fine but also you need to tell people that not to track their knees too far over yeah over their over their ankles and another thing that i would i actually really want to do an episode about um online yoga instructors in the future um so i won't go on about this too much <laughs> but something that is like a really really fun thing to do is mm. once you find particularly an instructor on youtuber that you on youtube that you like what you do is never ever ever under any circumstances look at any of their videos which are not about yoga <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah just no seriously do not like learn <laughs> learn from my learn from my errors like the other day mm. i was doing i was doing a practice um with this uh with this teacher who i like very much actually she's a very good teacher it's really annoying her, her channel's called boho beautiful which i don't care for personally mm-hmm. um and the whole way through this practice i was like You've done a great reset video. You've done a great reset video. You've done a you've done you've done a video about how you're in a simulation. Oh, no. Why? Why have you done this to me personally? Yeah, yeah. This is what I most respect about Adrienne is her uh, brand control, and yeah. that even when they did like a big New York Times magazine feature on her, she didn't slip an inch. There was nothing there. Yeah. She managed to remain personable and really likable and come yeah. across as genuine while not yeah. giving any fucking thing away. And I like that. Yeah, um, I think that's like genuinely they're quite quite an interesting thing to look at, only because like I think you know we we've certainly seen like our fair share of like fitness guys. Um, or like, you know, just kind of people in that type of space who then yeah. sort of move on to wellness and then that's kind of leading on to conspiracy related things. And I wonder whether when it came to Adrian, like because her popularity just sort of skyrocketed during that lockdown period, 
where like you must have had some sort of agent that kind of knew just from the outset but like no she's vulnerable she's like a nice white lady living in the suburbs like with her dog she's absolutely primed to get like radicalized by like shit <laughs> we just we just stop that happening before it happens oh you see um, i completely disagree with this because adrienne has been um has been more or less the most famous youtube yoga instructor okay. for getting on for a decade now right, okay it's not her that that got really really big during lockdown it was uh like oddly like um it was sort of uh workout accounts like kind of mad fit and that kind of thing that that was literally just like some girl filming her workouts who now have like two million subscribers yeah because uh, there's like a lot of like guys who are doing like hit workouts that i did every so often yeah. and like i check in like i don't even check in on them they show up on my algorithm on my youtube like recommended and like you know and they're not really doing fitness stuff it is very much just like fitness is a part of it but most of it is you know a lot of them a lot of them are just talking about like the matrix now yeah. in ways that guys talk about the matrix now yeah, i'm not going to go is, any further into which, that which is but... which is fine um but what i but the but the point about adrienne is that yeah. it's always been a brand exercise and it's been a very successful brand exercise because she is so charming and because she is so personable um and because she really kind of she really sort of resonates with lots and lots of people and she very very deliberately keeps it devoid of um of any kind of any kind of semantic content you have no idea what her politics are you have no idea what her views are about anything other than everyone if at all possible should do yoga because it make because it makes you it makes you feel good she's not it she is uh she veers away from spiritualism stuff she veer, she veers away from any kind of new age stuff which um which which dovetails with um with a lot of the sort of conspiratorial stuff that we that we see uh, that we see around and she has always had an absolute like james said an absolute rigid handle on her on her on her brand on her branding she's she's a uh, she's dolly parton that's what she is oh, yeah. she's not right she's not really a member in any significant way of the yoga community and i think it's because before before she started doing uh yoga videos she's uh she's a trained actress she knows how oh. to uh she, she was she was trying to make it as an actor and then now she started doing this and obviously did very well and i think has given up acting in the interim mm -hmm. but she knows how to craft a persona and she knows how to keep a very very tight uh pr boundaried um con control over it so i don't think i don't think that she was at risk for radicalization at all because she yeah. is obviously okay. not interested in any of the attendant um philosophical stuff although yeah. i will i will say i did just remember when um you know during sort of the height of the black lives matter protest she did post statements in support of everything there so like she's not been totally apolitical i think she's oh, definitely no, but yeah she's she's but, done it when she's had to i guess or done it when there's pressure well, like right pressure to do it right well, as, as, as soon as as soon as know. instagram gets its hands on 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 something political then i suspect it's actually no longer political and it's again more of a branding exercise but that might be an excessively yeah. cynical way yeah. of looking at it anyway let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the subject of the show because uh, like quite honestly i could i could trade back and forth yoga recommendations forever yeah i i'm looking forward to uh yoga recommendations and the yoga show i feel like it'll be very fun i also didn't know any of that stuff about um uh with adrian and now i feel i feel very embarrassed that i underestimated <laughs> 
yeah, so I'm very sorry and I do offer my apologies to that. But no, we have a somewhat important uh, thing to talk about this week. Um, uh, James, you've sort of, sort of been on, you've been on our show a few times. You've also been on like Trash Feature a couple of times. And I think right. last time you came on TF, you were talking about, there was some, some, we were talking about AI and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it had something to do with like chat GPT. Um, uh, yeah, had chat GPT came out then. It was. Like, I can't I, or, actually remember. Or it was like some. It was like some sort of AI bot. But I think it's kind of within that sort of framework of um, like AI. I don't know. Like all, you see, I I guess like what we're sort of seeing right now is yeah, a lot of do. kind of like AI posting that is almost in similar in some ways to every other kind of like you know the NFT posting, the yeah. uh, uh, the um, kind of. Uh, crypto posting and stuff. Uh, and it sort of seems to be that a lot of the guys who have been doing crypto NFT things uh, in the past couple of years are now sort of kind of talking about, you know, the future is an AI and we need to pivot to that side and everything. And so on the one hand, it's very easy to be kind of dismissive of it. But on the other hand, I think that like there have been some kind of interesting examples of like where these types of AI bots have been used. And there is kind of like a real, you know, a much more kind of um, material reason for that being used, although that may not necessarily be good. And there's a story that you and a fellow Verge reporter, Miyasato, have been working on, um, a couple of stories, which I we thought were really, really interesting um, and kind of like looked at the issue of um, AI in relation to writing and content production, yeah. um, which is sort of where a lot of kind of like the use cases for AI at the moment seem to be situated. So the story that we've kind of like centered this episode around is called Inside CNET's AI-powered SEO money machine. Um, the subheading is fake bylines, content farming, affiliate fees. What happens when private equity takes over a storied news site for millions of clicks? It's a really, really interesting story. For people who haven't read it, could you talk to us about what it was about, what you and Mia worked on, um, and what you found? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to um, clear some sort of very boring inside baseball journalism stuff. But, uh, you know, journalism works on credit. Futurism. Uh, and uh, a few writers there, including a guy named John Christian, sort of broke this story, which has been developing over the weeks. Mm -hmm. And then on this particular feature, inside CNET's, inside CNET's AI-powered SEO money machine, uh, Mia Sato uh, was very much like the lead writer on that. And um, mm -hmm. she's a brilliant, fantastic reporter. I was sort of helping along with the AI side of it, but um, I just want to credit where it's due. Mm -hmm. yeah, lots absolutely. of people, lots of outlets. Um, so this sort of has been a developing story over the last couple of weeks, basically. Um, and it started with a article in Futurism pointing out that CNET has, uh, had been putting up stories that it had sort of very euphemistically described as written with the help of quote unquote automation technology. Now, the, 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 the odd thing was that this information was not immediately available. Um, the, the stories were put up with the byline of CNET money staff, and they were all very sort of generic money explaining, helping stories. So they were like, uh, what is Zelle and how does it work? Or well, should, should you break an early CD for a better rate? You know, so questions that someone is going to tap into Google looking for a specific answer and CNET wants its article to be the first one you click on. You click through, you see their adverts, maybe you click on some of the links in the stories and then they pick up some fees from that. So they were articles that was very much designed to catch Google traffic and very much designed to rake in what are called affiliate fees. Um, affiliate fees and affiliate links is something that mm. most big news sites do in one way or the other. Um, the Verge does it. 
you know, when we review a product, uh, whether it's a new keyboard, a new monitor, we'll stick a link in there that if you like it, you can go click it and buy it. And if you click it through that link, then we get a tiny little slice of money. Um, obviously, there are sort of, uh, as a practice, that exists on a spectrum. Um, it's very innocuous in many ways, like, hey, it's sort of doing the consumer a favor, the reader a favor if they are going to buy it. And then there are ways where you farm those links and those fees uh, in a way that becomes unscrupulous. Um, the thing that has happened at CNET is, you know, they used to be this huge titan of uh, of news, particularly in the U.S. of consumer tech news. You know, they were sold in 2008 for one point odd billion. I can't remember how much. And then they got sold again in 2020. I think it was 400 or 500 million. So you can see how, you know, the destruction of the news industry led to a destruction of value in their brand. And they got bought by a company called Red Ventures. Uh, which is, you know, they're a private equity company, basically. And what they do is they buy up brands and they buy up uh, very popular URLs, websites, and they have a playbook about how they've turned these into money-making machines. So they own a lot of properties uh, like bestcolleges.org or creditcardrates.com. You know, th these sorts of sites where um, it all looks a little bit, uncanny perhaps it all looks a little bit glossy and you already before you click on them or as soon as you click on them you may be thinking hey did a human write this or did a machine write this mm -hmm. um and what we discovered uh or mia discovered really in sort of the reporting out the cnet story is that um uh that the people there aren't sure about which of their colleagues are humans and which of their colleagues are machines now you know there's been this siloization of the teams within cnet um, where you don't really speak to people on other parts of the site. And you've seen these bylines. They were said they were seeing these sort of these these stories coming out and they weren't sure who had written them. Mm. Uh, so to cut a long story short, CNET has been using uh, sort of AI technology to help write articles. They've been not especially transparent about it. Mm. And there is a great deal of confusion, even with the reporting we've done, because it's very hard to get inside some of these companies to get people who are willing to tell you about what's going on when it could cost them their job. Very understandable. Um, we still really don't know how much of it is AI and automated and sure. how much is not. Um, the, the sort of backstory on this as well is that AI within the news industry is not necessarily a new thing. You know, you go back to 2014, 2015, that's when um, wire agencies like the Associated Press start using automated tools to generate stories that are high volume and formulaic. So I'm talking about things like earnings reports for small companies or uh, the sporting results or reports about earthquake tremors. These are news things where, you know, if you wake up and there's an earthquake, you feel an earthquake, you're going to maybe quickly type into Google, hey, earthquake, San Francisco, what happened? Yeah. Hmm. And a, a, an automated system can get that news onto a trusted website up and it'll say, look, it was 4.2 Richters, it happened at, it happened at 2.59 a.m. in this area. We'll update this story as we go. That's a really, I think, a good use of automated technology to provide information uh, without necessarily needing to have a human take part in that. Mm. But those sorts of um, uh, template stories, I'll call them, have uh, been overtaken a little bit by developments we've seen in AI writing skills, particularly the emergence of these large language models over the last couple of years, and that is what ChatGPT is basically. So now we're at the point where AI really has the capacity to do much more than just sort of fill in the blanks. 
much more than news mad libs, um, mm. but to start writing something. Um, and the problem with this is, or one of the many problems with this is, is that these technologies are factually unreliable. Mm. And a lot of the CNET stories that were published using this system, uh, which was known as Wordsmith, um, which was built by another company, but um, Red Ventures said they sort of customized it a lot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they contained factual errors and sort of very mm. basic maths errors in a way, because that's one of the things that these systems aren't very good at. You know, I, I've, right. I've said this before, but they are probabilistic, not term deterministic. They predict what sounds right, but they don't necessarily know what is right. Um, so we get into this point where, you know, um, there may be a sort of tipping point within on the online media ecosystem where a, more and more um, uh, what used to be reliable sources of information are taken over by this sort of um, this low cost approach to pumping out news and collecting the fees. You know, uh, it's really difficult to predict where that's going to go, if it's going to really take over, because there's a lot of players involved. You know, what's Google going to do? How are they going to react to ranking this content? So far, they've actually said we're not against AI generated mm. content uh, as long as it's mm. serving the purpose it's supposed to. But judging when it is and isn't serving that purpose is very difficult because there's no, you know, there's no body in charge of auditing newspapers content that there has to be something that happens through their relationship with the readers. But if you don't really have a tight relationship with the paper, if you're not paying for it, then, uh, you know, you're just going to get bored of that site and it's going to go down the trash. Um, that was an incredibly long rant. I, rant. I apologize, but that no, is no, the no, no, background no, of the story. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on here. Happy to, yeah, dive in <laughs> with more information. Yeah. So you uh, you said you said before we started um, that you've been looking into software which is bit which is being developed to detect yeah. AI generated output. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I think this is another interesting part of the puzzle is whether or not we're going to be able to reliably spot AI generated language. Um, and I've been doing, I've been testing a bunch of these tools recently, um, some of which are made by sort of plagiarism detection uh, software companies that work for academia, some of which are made by, you know, enthusiastic and knowledgeable amateurs. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting um, trying to fiddle around with the text you put into them. So I, I've been testing mainly in academic terms, but I think it applies a little bit more widely than that. So I've been doing things like, you know, getting a AI or chat GPT in particular, um, I've been testing to like write an essay about the role of money in Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, something like that, you know, very basic academic thing. And you take that first return from chat GPT and put it into these systems. They will all go. Yes, that's AI generated at a very basic level. They're really e they're really easily able to spot mm. that. Mm -hmm. However, if you play around with the prompt you give ChatGPT, and one of my favorites is just going, "Hey, rewrite that essay in a way that it doesn't look like it's written like by an AI," and suddenly <laughs> the, the detectors get much less confident. And I've found that like one of my uh, the easiest way to make something sound human is to say, "Rewrite that as if you're 14." Uh -huh. And suddenly you take that text and plug it, plug it into the same detector tools and they go, oh, this is definitely written yeah. by a human. What this proves is that like we're heading into a big cat and mouse game between detectors and generators and between the ways you sort of work on that, um, work on that text and customize it. Um, 
but uh, what I really like about this and uh, have enjoyed sort of exploring um, is the idea that some of this text, uh, some that there is something in human text that cannot be uh, replicated by a machine because you get you put a great writer's text into these systems and they they, they never mistake it for machine written. Um, and one of the guys I've been uh, talking to is a guy named Edward Tian. He's a student uh, in America, um, and he took a course under John McPhee, a famous New Yorker writer, uh, an essayist. And that sort of um, gave him this belief and this love of the sort of inimitable human spirit that exists in human writing. He's built one of these detectors, and he thinks that actually one consequence of the rise of uh, ChatGPT and its ilk is going to be that we winnow away a lot of bad thoughtless writing and it gives us a greater ability to focus on good writing which i think is a very optimistic (laughs) (laughs) uh uh, optimistic Uh, viewpoint which i'm not quite sure i agree with necessarily but i think it's a nicer way of looking at the world than other options Mm. um but yeah that's definitely going to be part of this because ai generated text if google can't spot it or if other people can't spot it then yeah it's just going to blend in seamlessly and it's going to start riddling the web with these errors I suppose like this is one of the things, this is one of the questions I was kind of asking myself when I was reading um, your piece and just also just like having these kind of conversations over the past few weeks about like what, like the kind of like long-term effect of sort of flooding kind of the internet or flooding like Google with uh, like AI writing is going to be. Um, mm. And like, I think it's really interesting to sort of hear the optimistic take, which is that like, you know, you might get like a flooding of such kind of monotonous, boring kind of like AI content that the yearning for like something sort of, you know, something else will draw us to like better writing and better creative output from human beings. We might kind of gain a better appreciation of literature. Um, Mm. Again, I'm not necessarily sure whether I agree with that only in the sense that I think that we have like a very high tolerance for kind of, uh, or like there is kind of still like demands for uh, fairly monotonous and fairly sort of like uniform content. Um, and I think this is kind of where I was thinking about this in terms of journalism as well, because I think one of the things that you've said, uh, I, I think you've said it, I'm sorry if you like, maybe I'm thinking about someone else, but I believe that you did say something along these lines, which was that like the AI doesn't actually have to, like the idea that the AI is going to sort of be able to replace the human being, but they'll be able to like do something better in terms of creative output than human beings. It's not necessarily like the worry that we should be having, but it's more, um, you know, the, the reality might just be that the AI is just good enough to kind of produce the thing that like, is monetizable enough or it's kind of you know it has enough value to sort of like keep the system going and i feel like when it comes to content this is where ai sort of seems to be really um like this is sort of where like ai actually seems to be very good which is that like when we think about content we're not really thinking about content in like you know uh there is i i think for the most part there's no expectation for it to be like, oh, you know, this needs to be, you know, there needs to be like really, really good content or like it needs to sort of be have artistic qualities or it needs to have like transcendent qualities. Like content is supposed to just exist for it has this sort of like, I don't know what the right way to put it is, but there is sort of like a very, you know, there is a function for it. And if AI can kind of produce that at like a faster and faster rate, then that's all it sort of needs to do. And I then wonder yeah. like whether you like how you think that will sort of just like affect the expectations of input online you know so when we talk when we think about like the sort of so-called creator economy and just this sort of you know this idea that eventually people will like be able to kind of create and upload their own stuff online and it'll kind of 
uh, encourage more creativity and encourage more, um, you know, uh, encourage, yeah, just like, encourage more artistic work and stuff. I wonder whether actually the imposition or at least the sort of presence of AI and creators sort of like using them to sort of continue to kind of produce stuff, whether that actually might have a like an almost opposite effect, like the presence of chat GPT and other systems like it in the coming years will kind of encourage more uniformity when it comes to like what stuff is deemed valuable on like on the internet and worth sort of pursuing, worth producing, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, sorry, I'm just sort of thinking through a couple of different things you said and you, you said in that, I, I think one analogy that, um, it came to me earlier today, actually, that I'm still thinking through the uh, ramifications of is um, chat GPT is sort of like, um, sort of like drop shipping, right? Yeah. Mm. And that's how a lot of TikTok hustle bros I'm seeing are promoting chat GPT's use. They're coming up with these like get rich quick schemes with chat GPT. And essentially what they're doing is they're going onto platforms like Fiverr, these sort of short job platforms. And they're saying, look, take some jobs off Fiverr that involve writing, pretend you're a human, and then get chat GPT to, chat GPT to yes, do it yeah, and then yeah, feed yeah. that back to them. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what the dropshipping paradigm is, is that right, you yeah. are, you, you're, you're automating something, you're getting it at a cheap volume, and then you're adding a little bit of flavor on top, whether that's marketing or pretending you're a human. And then you're handing that over to the person on the other side and pretending that that is the high quality good that they want, even though it just looks high quality, but actually it's shoddy, but you get it. But by the, by the time you've got it, that's mm. it. Your job's done. You don't need to give a, give a fuck about anything, anything else. So I think that might be something that once people are used to that low quality in the way that they in the way that people get have gotten gotten wise to drop shipping and that there are now these tools that let you like look up where a product actually comes from rather than buying it through a third hand through a middleman of some sort there will be ways around this ecosystem I think one thing that happens is that or one possibility is that the appearance of all this chat GPT content creates a new paradigm in how we use the web and you know it might be the era we might be coming to the era of the end of google search that is something that people have been mm. talking about before ai came along simply because they've just been going for so long and it's sort of antiquated in so many ways but we could just be stepping into a completely new paradigm about how people find products how they find information how they get recommendations because there's a lot of stuff that like Chat GPT and its and its similar brethren could just provide like an encyclopedia, you know, like you know, like a, a recipes or how long does it take to poach an egg? Yeah. Like that stuff. Yeah. I I must have googled how to poach a fucking egg like you know dozens of times over my life. Yeah, there's well, no what's real good, reason. Yeah. What's, your what's your recommendation? What's your recommendation, minutes wise? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like the vinegar trick. The vortex trick does work, um, and it's all about reducing the. Uh, the distance between dropping the egg in and the, the surface of the water that's what i've learned vortex okay. and just you need to really slide it in that's anyway right. but you know i've googled that and by doing that i've given you know a, a fraction of a pence or a fraction of a cent to mm. probably a dozen different companies over my lifestyle why do i need to do that why not there just be one system that looks up this stuff and gives it back to me that i think is how people are going to sell chat gpt and <laughs> products like it yeah. as successors to google as knowledge providers um and i think yeah one thing that happens is that we might create a new ecosystem so we might be that we have a really shitty couple of few years ahead of us while this stuff fills the web with spam but eventually maybe that spam is going to be what kills it in a sort of you know 
cholesterol-induced heart attack, to use a very bad uh, metaphor involving spam. <laughs> So can we so can we talk about this in terms of how it manifests as a labor issue because I think that I think that a lot of um a lot of where people kind of come down on it tends to be uh whether their general outlook is kind of utopian or dystopian so I think it very much depends on your on how you kind of how you sort of engage with the world and it's definitely it's definitely the case that the original that the original materialist case for for automation was to free up the average working person to think and read and write and paint and play musical instruments um the uh the tech uh, the tech organized <laughs> way of looking at things is oh no 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 this uh gets rid of all of all the need to do writing so what you can actually do is uh, devote more time to your email job that's that's what that's for uh and I, it's it's a nice idea that um it will make uh people's appetite for this kind of well spam to to put not too fine a point on it um and that they'll want something more kind of emotionally spiritually creatively intellectually nourishing and so we'll start mm. to kind of seek that out but the the problem with that i think is a historical observation <laughs> so yeah. if we just have a little look uh, whether or not that does seem to be the case, whether the kind of proliferation of cheap, low quality material in all sorts of different sectors and industries actually does make people yearn for smaller amounts and higher quality. Um, that does not seem that does not seem to have borne out in the global north, for example. I mean, even if you just look at the stats around um, how how much clothes sorry how many how many items of clothing rather how how much clothes how many items of clothing the average um the average in global terms wealthy person has and how that's kind of quadrupled um over the last kind of 30 years or so and it's not because people suddenly want more badly made clothes that you could that you can't light a match near that's that's not the case it's the case that um that these companies that make these poor quality clothes uh all kind of all mushroomed up and um and created this in this artificially inflated demand for their crap and i think the idea that the more bloated and the more um that yeah the, the yeah the more the more the more bloated um available material becomes the more likely people are to reject it i think hasn't hasn't been borne out mm. especially mm. and also there's the again the brute labor issue of but where is this stuff going to be coming from where is this 
um, wonderful literature, this wonderful poetry, this wonderful, mm. this wonderful music, this wonderful art. Where is that going to be coming from if the people who make it cannot support themselves? Because what yeah. they used to do to generate an income while they were freeing themselves up to make their art, if those are all being automated away, then who other than the independently wealthy are going to be making this art? And is that really what what we want to be seeing? Because if because not even if you even if you um erase how um incredibly brutal and unfair and immiserating that is, it means that you are not actually going to be experiencing any particularly great art because if it's got this very very narrow field of vision a very narrow perspective attached to it um so unless you are unless you're arguing alongside some kind of radical reorganization of how people support themselves I think just saying, oh, well, people are going to see all this rubbish and think, oh, I'd really like to read some proper literature. Yeah. Um, I think is, I think optimistic is, is generous. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's naive. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you totally. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it does, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be good. AI is such a, in many ways, inequality machine because it allows, you know, power of scaling. You know, look at OpenAI. Right? It's a company with about 375 employees, roughly speaking. Um, and yet they've created this thing that people are already talking about as going to be killing Google. There's also a, um, a very, you know, in, so sorry, my point is that's such a concentration of power in such a small number of, in such a small number of individuals. Um, and there was a really interesting story the other week um, out in Time magazine by a guy named Billy Perigo, um, I think is his name. He's a journalist in London. Um, and he did a sort of expose looking at um, the data labeling that had been done in order to train chat mm. GPT and talking about how it had been outsourced uh, to workers in Kenya who were earning on average less than $2 a day. Um, and how, you know, there had been like, you know, this huge amount of labor that had gone into creating this system that is now owned by a few guys in Silicon Valley and they have all the power behind it. I think that's such a, you know, it's just a very poignant example of how, um, yeah, AI is going to be used to sort of re-entrench or can be used certainly to re-entrench these unequal positions. We have all these workers in Kenya whose work is as essential to making a chat GPT work as a engineer in San Francisco getting paid a million a year or however much they're getting. Yeah. But, you know, they're outsourced to it and their work is forgotten about as soon as they're done, it's discarded with. Um, yeah, I think I talked about this a little bit last time as well, but, you know, for me, I think one of the big dangers of these systems to journalism and the ecosystem is that it, it, it gets rid of, it automates a lot of these sorts of low, um, and it, mm. these starter jobs, which are lower down on the rungs, but which are necessary to get into a career because they don't require a lot of, you know, you can start doing them quite easily. And it's what I did. It's how I got into the journalism as a business. But you need to cut your teeth somewhere. And if that ladder doesn't exist, then yeah, yeah it becomes a toy 
of uh, rich people. And the same could be true of all these other sorts of bits of information we look to mm-hmm. online, like who's going to be writing recipes, who's going to be writing guides to, I don't know, camping equipment, whatever it might be. It's going to be someone with the time and the money yeah. to do that rather than someone who's being directly remunerated for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I think your bleak look at the future there, Phoebe, <laughs> might be the right sorry, one. I'm sorry. It's because I'm sick. I always feel very bleak when I'm sick. Um, the, other, the, other question, <laughs> the other question I had to ask about this, and it actually ties into, um, ties into what you were saying about the expose, about how much the people in Kenya um, were, be, were being paid for it. I saw um, an interesting take which said, which said that this is actually a good thing because this is like paying the local rate, which is so brilliant. I think that's, I think that's so wonderful. I absolutely love the unexamined. Um, it was, it, it was very like Adam Smith Institute yeah, defending the sweatshops. Like, absolutely. Like, like the unexamined um, sort of entrenched, imperialism of yank brain i think is just really unparalleled i think yeah like obviously the british have a case to answer in this on this front as well but um but yeah i think it's really it's really it's really quite something to see uh but an awful lot of um of this if we talk about if we talk about um the entrenchment of inequality using uh, using this technology um, very very specifically in one industry. If if we could if we could just for a moment kind of broaden that discussion out and look at it and look at it globally, um, particularly in reference to uh, jobs on Fiverr and uh, and kind of copywriting jobs um, mm. on these kinds of on these kinds of websites in general. Uh, in the main um churning churning out kind of uh blog content and copywriting content and sort of a news article content as well um because it is um because it is structured on a model with um post-colonialism and imperialist principles in mind it's basically impossible if you live in the global north to earn any money at all doing this kind of work um it's completely exploitative it's completely extractive (laughs) and it relies on people in the global south Mm. um taking like taking up this work so my question is when it comes to a labor issue the the kind of the the obvious uh, the sort of the obvious argument is it is not a good thing if newsrooms are replacing their reporters with an automatic machine because there's nothing to replace their working lives with and uh, automation only works in principle if there is a a if there is strong institutional and uh, state support for people to continue to live properly and mm. uh, and not starve if they are not doing particular kinds of work I mean that's a very that's the, the absolute basic principles of this sort of thing being a labor issue and it's all very well for um for companies who are uh who are trying to kind of construct what their money-making model is going to be sort of in the future and look at how to save money on labor costs because that's what it comes down to it's it's you know if we replace this lot with a with the computers with a kind of with a code script then 
than we are saving money on when we're saving money on 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 wages it's it, it's 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 just a very very basic um worker right and solidarity undermining tool but i think where it gets a bit more complicated is where ai is being used to replace extractive and exploitative working practices so if it comes to if we're talking about something like uh like fiverr paying 30 pence for an article that is being mm-hmm. written by somebody in the philippines say is it actually better or worse if this work is taken over by a script like is is the person in the philippines actually suffering from having this work taken away from them i'm gonna throw that incredibly thorny moral question over to saying because <laughs> i don't have a clue no i mean i don't like my i also sort of have brain fog as well and because i was like thinking about like another question related to like labor issues so i'm not going to be answering that one although it is like an important question maybe maybe yeah. one for maybe one for the listeners to uh to, to <laughs> Yeah, so. gonna, gonna fling that out. But if you could just do that amongst yourselves, don't tell <laughs> us. Don't tell us. <laughs> we don't need to know. No, I just, yeah. think, I just think, I just think it's, I just think it's interesting because obviously it is. I think, I think it is a net bad if mm. um, literature and that sort of thing, and even and news j- journalism, and even to an extent comment writing is replaced by a machine i think that's probably i think that's probably a bad thing i don't think necessarily that comment writing needs to exist i don't think opinion writing needs to exist not really but if you take the line yeah but there is one small sector of uh, of public writing that can just be safely done away mm. with then um then the structures of capital will also decide that the other stuff can be done away with as well. Like that's look back in. Yeah. Back in my day, uh, a real human did casual racism uh, in, in the newspapers. <laughs> look, These the, days, the, if I have to have some fucking machine doing it for me. The problem with comment and opinion pieces and opinion pieces is the people who are able to write them. <laughs> that's not, it's not, there's no, there's no ontological yeah. reason why comment or opinion writing should be so bad it just yeah it just is and that is because <laughs> yeah. of um a number of intersecting factors well, about yeah. journalism as an industry but if you start if you start saying that this well this one thing can be safely done away with the yeah. idea that there are any mechanisms that structure and organize our individual lives which value art and which value joy and which inva- which value uh, an enriched and enriching life over the demands of corporate and capital interests then i think frankly you're being a little stupid mm. i had like one kind of question because i know that we're sort of running close to time but it actually sort of like goes on to the uh, sort, of, sort of the subsequent stories uh, that have kind of come out since uh, since uh, since uh, the kind of CNET revelations came out. Uh, partly that uh, the AI bot, from what I understand, is no longer being used by CNET. Um, yeah, yeah. And also, you sent like another story in our DMs about like other companies, including Getty Images, like suing 
are the creators of like other types of AI bots for like data scope, like using sort of like their data sets uh, to kind of like build their systems. Um, yeah. In the other, in the in the CNET story, in regards to like why they stopped using the AI, AI bot, my understanding was that like there was a lot of backlash from uh, people within the the organization, partly because of this, the fact that like the AI bot was not kind of like directly, it was not kind of di- directly referred to as like this was written by a AI bot. But one of the interesting kind of underlining things that I sort of got from the piece was also that staffers were kind of not really sure what how the AI was actually kind of situated in terms of the newsroom. Like what, like, was it a writer's assistant? Was it like Mm. something that should be deemed as like a writer and therefore a competitor? How does that sort of affect like things like wages? How does that affect like things like unionization? And obviously a lot of this coming at a time when like we are kind of seeing more rounds of like, you know, newsroom and like media layoffs, but also just like newsrooms, like trying to unionize partly on the basis that like, you know, uh, kind of secure contracts and secure employment, like seem a lot more important now than like they used to be. And I wondered whether, whether you had any thoughts on just like the kind of like, we're sort of this sort of backlash towards um, the implementation of certain AI tools within workplaces. Um, and also just by companies who are sort of realizing that these types of systems are being built and also like accruing a huge amount of value off on the basis of like being able to access a lot of like open source uh, data sets or like, uh, data set that's like publicly available and i wondered whether like you you would you I, I wondered whether you thought that this might be a trend we're, we're going to be seeing a lot more happen a lot more often in different contexts in the coming years or uh, do you reckon that it's going to be far more likely that you know ai imp- the, the 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 speed of which ai implementation will take place will kind of mean that this backlash will not necessarily have the intended effects that maybe uh, people who are protesting them right now would like them to have I mean, it's difficult within the media industry because the media industry at the moment is going through a lot of shit. You know, um, Vox Media, the company, my parent company and my company announced layoffs just the other week. You know, everyone is doing layoffs um, across the board because advertising advertising money has just gone way down for all these advertising based sites. Um, I, I really it's really hard to say what the dynamic is going to be, because there's obviously some benefit in the way that you know you know you see those mcdonald's where they go you get a tiktok video of a mcdonald's and they go look they completely automated the mcdonald's Mm. and Mm. wow this is the future and if you start arguing for a higher wage this is what's gonna fucking happen to you know Mm. those sorts of like threats and then you look into a story on it and they say oh it's got the same amount of uh staff working in the back end you just don't see them you know there is a there is a way that maybe companies are going to use ai writing tools like that as a cudgel as a threat even Mm. though it still takes a lot of labor to do that and i think in a in a really straightened media environment that's definitely very possible um Mm. how exactly it's gone down in red ventures as you as you said one of the big problems that the writers had is the blurred lines between what was human written and what was machine written written mm. um and copy editors were getting pieces where they were like well i thought this was written by a machine i couldn't really be sure um and i think that generally creates sort of discord and uh paranoia within an institution yeah. that's not necessarily separable from being owned by a private equity mm. company in general um but yeah i don't know i, don't, <laughs> I definitely don't have a crystal ball on that one i think it's going to be used in lots of messy ways sure. you know maybe maybe someone will be like hey look there's open source verses of chat gpt why don't we just start a new cooperative writing thing that uses ai tools in order to take this traffic away from people you know it's what it, it could happen why not sure you know in in terms of you know phoebe was saying earlier how are we ever going to replace the columnists <laughs> why don't we do some sort of uh you know ai generated um uh, adrian child's figure no uh, you, you can't know, do that <laughs> you can't do that to him 
No, you can't. Uh, no, no, but uh, you could create you could create one that combines all the most hateful characteristics of all your most hated <laughs> opinion writers, and actually, maybe that would be better for the world because then there wouldn't be a human receiving, you know, any any nasty thoughts. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, on that note, I I really really have to dash because yeah, okay, I have an interview no coming up Absolutely. in just a couple of minutes' time. No worries. So I I'm sorry so, to leave no, no, early. No, I was going to say on that note, James. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Just before you have to go, uh, do you want to yes. plug anything that you're working on? Uh, and obviously, we'll have links to both your Verge columns and your book as well in the <laughs> show notes. Thank you. Uh, no, nothing to plug. Uh, you know, follow me on Twitter, JJ Vincent, if you fancy it. Uh, I'm going to be around on there for a bit longer until AI replaces me. You know. <laughs> Cool. Got a year, year or two left of me, I reckon. Yeah, you've got a while, buddy. You've got a while. Uh, but no, thank you for coming <laughs> right. on. We'd love to have you back on at some point in the future as well, which I'm sure we'll will be very likely. Uh, well, I'd really like to do go... a part two of this because I want to talk about um, about the ways in which people think AI is functionally magic. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's we talk, do need yeah. to get onto that. Yeah. Let's talk about oh, okay. that. Let's talk about that in the DMs. Um, James, you can like just bounce out and I'll do the ending. Yeah. Just so we go. All right. See you right. later, buddy. Have a Bye, good guys. Evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Uh, and thank you very much for listening to this free episode of uh, 10,000 Posts. We really appreciate it. If you would like to listen to bonus content where we have lots of very cool interviews, uh, movie reviews, uh, and lots of just like fun stuff on uh, on our Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash 10K Post Podcast. Uh, five bucks a month, you get all that good bonus content. Uh, we do uh, one bonus content a week. And also we have a lot of interesting stuff coming up uh, soon. Uh, Phoebe, before we jump out, do you want to like plug anything? Yeah, um, I've got quite a lot of stuff to plug today. I've got, loads of stuff to plug. Okay, let's a do a big it. selection of yeah. plugs. Uh, subscribe to my Substack. It's phoeberoy.substack.com. Um, there is one mini essay up there already, and I am working on some more stuff. Um, but I got um I got felled by um by a cough this week. But there will be some more stuff up there soon. Really appreciate all of your support and all of your subscriptions, etc. Um, you can listen to me and Milo's. Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeld podcast, Masters of Our Domain, um, which is found on Twitter at Masters of Pod. And we are doing a live show on the 28th of February in London, um, where we will be talking about uh, the B movie. So, like, if, yeah. you wanna, if you want to come to that and hear me and Milo talk about the B movie with a very special guest to be announced. Um, then yeah, the B from the B movie. The B from the B movie. <laughs> you saying before, I, <laughs> I'm I, sorry. I'm sorry. I, just couldn't, I couldn't contain it. That was I couldn't surprise. contain it's, it. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's too. It's too good yeah. a secret to keep to yourself. It's, it's actually Austin Butler who is going to be the B in the B movie sequel, and then when he finishes, he will just have the B from the B movie voice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So th- yeah, th- those are those are my plugs. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the live show. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess on that note, uh, we have just one more plug for right now. Uh, this show is produced by Devin. Follow them at Devin underscore on earth. Also listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. Um, yeah, and as I mentioned, like if you sub to the Patreon, it really helps us to kind of continue to do the show and to continue to do it ad-free. We do not want to do ads. We don't ever want to do ads. I don't want to talk to a mattress company. I don't want to talk to like a fake monster energy uh uh like uh drinks company they have that one of these guys has approached me one time like i'm not even like they were sort of selling this weird energy drink which they sort of said was better than monster i don't want to deal with them um so yeah help us make sure that we don't have to like deal with uh deal with people who want to uh sell bad products uh via our show um yeah and on that note we'll catch you on the next one 
Have a good one. Bye. Bye.